Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Friday, August 5th, 2022. So uh, what's the reaction been so far to your big 200th episode of Light the Fuse with Tom Cruise? You know, I think he's going to have a big career. I think this, I think the, <laughs> I think the podcast appearance is really what's going to propel him to bigger things. And aren't you nice to give him that opportunity? <laughs> yeah, I thought, you know what? What a guy! Take, yeah, take a swing at a young and up-and-coming actor. No, I mean, mm-hmm. I think everybody has really loved the episode. We've had a lot of mm-hmm. great responses on on Twitter and, uh, you know, people sending us notes and things. So um, it's been really, really good so far. I'm just so happy for you. And again, I know you guys worked long and hard for that opportunity. So it was so nice to finally have it happen. Beyond that, lots of animation news this week. But as always, before we get to the news, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network for a worry-free travel experience every time. Please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Drew, in a not-too-long-ago show, this, in fact, this was May of 2021, didn't you and I actually interview the director of Scoob, Tony Servan? We did. We did. Yeah. And I think we both enjoyed this film. Clearly, you know, at least the previous management team at Warner's thought that it was deserving of a follow-up. So I want to say in June of last year, they announced that Scoob was going to get a sequel and Work pressed ahead. In fact, they just finished animation on this thing last Friday. So what did you make of the news Monday of this week that Scoob uh, Holiday Haunt and, of course, a, a tiny little movie, Batgirl, was being shelved? Yeah, I thought, I mean, I think this is insane, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think the whole situation at HBO Max is insane, and I think we've talked about this before, that... It's a country rube who doesn't know mm-hmm. what is going on and how mm-hmm. how valuable that that library really is. I think that they mm-hmm. bought it for the logo, basically, and mm-hmm. for HBO, and that's it. But, you know, what's really crushing about the Scoob movie is, you know, that it was co-written by Paul Dini. No! Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was going to be something that, you know, they were all very excited about playing throughout the holidays. Mm-hmm. I think it was supposed mm-hmm. to come out. I think it was supposed to come out in, like, October or something. I mean, it was really close. And, uh, yeah, just a $40 million movie that they and, But But are you hearing this was strictly a bookkeeping maneuver? They had a window of time that was open, I want to say, just till August 15th to be able to, to write this off? Yeah, they they were going to include it as part of the losses of the merger. Mm-hmm. So they had to, yeah, I mean, and, and the the bummer of it is, is that this thing has to be sealed away in a, in a vault for that tax rebate to be issued. So it, it's just incredibly d- disappointing. I, I'm not going to say that we should encourage people at Stars uh, <laughs> Animation, either in Texas or Canada, to, mm-hmm. I don't know, send us an excessively large file attached to an email. But I'm also not not saying that, Jim. You know what I mean? Do you want them to pull a Popeye? Is, yeah, is that exactly. what you're saying? Get a, 
So speaking of which, did, did, have you found the time yet? To, I have to, not. To I speak? mean, I have not. I've been insanely busy, as you know. Um, but yes. I get that. Yeah. I get that. I, I watched the beginning, and, and it, it really it really struck me from moment one what mm-hmm. a special uh, project this was going to be and exactly the vibe that you you know he was going for, right? With the fish, like, finding the baby and everything in the water. It's just like, oh, I get this. This is so clear what this was supposed to be. Um, mm. It's just really heartbreaking that it didn't go forward. To circle back to the whole Warner Brothers thing, we're seeing new animated stuff come from Warner Brothers. We've got the preschool stuff, the Bugs Bunny Builders, which I don't know if I'm the audience for, for that show. But on the other hand, I've only seen the title sequence for Bad Wheels. But between how amazing that thing is staged and the title song, I'm in. It just I realize this is aimed at six-year-olds, but it's like, I got to tell the kid, move over on the couch. I want to watch this. But you had an amazing piece of info about who's voicing Batman in this thing? Oh, yeah. Ethan Hawke is voicing Batman in Bat Wheels. If you want to read all about Bat Wheels and Bugs Bunny Builders, you can go to the wrap. There is a big story I wrote called Cradle to the Grave about okay. the, uh, the methodology of, uh, of preschool and how it's kind of the last frontier for IP. But yeah, Ethan Hawke as Batman is a pretty great bit of casting. I am just a little nervous because on the mm-hmm. earnings call the other day, Zaz, I'm going to quote my buddy uh, Rafa Montemayor, mm-hmm. who said, Love to hear the owners of one of the original and biggest animation studios talk about kids programming and animation being inessential and in oh. need of, quote, course correction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I would say watch you Primal wish. while you can, maybe. Oh, you are not making me happy. Um, But Batgirl was going to get theatrical release, but was really intended for HBO Max. And 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 yeah. And again, we're in this weird space now where you know things are are conceived strictly for streaming. Which brings me, you were talking about I Am Groot, which you have seen, which is debuting this coming week on Disney Plus, right? On, on yes, it, it is on Wednesday, I believe. I don't know. It's it's coming soon. I know that much. Okay. Um, okay. I have seen all the episodes. I love this show. I think it's really, really special. And I also just wanted to make a little connection, Jim, because these mm-hmm. shorts are directed by uh, Kirsten Lepore. Um, mm-hmm. And the animation is done by Luma Pictures, which is just wonderful. They did the big tentacle monster from uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So, so did they? Yeah, oh, so something okay. a little cuter than that for mm-hmm. I Am Groot. Um, <laughs> but True. she, yeah, uh, she is the uh, she is the animation supervisor for a little movie called Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which is like kind of the sleeper hit of the summer. Just this past Friday, June 29th, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On went into the largest number of theaters to date. I mean, it's widest release. It's in 821 theaters around the country, which when you consider this thing started out back in June in only six theaters, the fact that this much positive press, this amazing word of mouth that this film is getting out there. In fact, just today, one of the trades was talking about, is it possible? You know, could Marcel be Oscar worthy if we jump ahead, you know, six or eight months? And really, I think you the know, question I, I, is, mm-hmm. is like, who, if, um, 
if it's animated enough mm-hmm. uh, to, oh, yeah, yes. if that is going to, in fact, there's an IndieWire article by our mutual buddy, Bill Desowitz, that says, is Marcel the Shell animated enough for the Oscars? Mm. So that is the big question right now, which is kind of interesting. Is there enough animation to have it actually qualify for the best animated feature? And it says A24 and the director do believe that it is eligible and plan on submitting it for Oscar consideration. It's not so simple because the Academy is very specific about rules for animation, particularly when it comes to evaluating hybrids of which Marcel would be the first submission to incorporate stop motion. Okay. So this is a lo- this is the beginning of a longer story, Jenna. We will be keeping an no, eye no, on. No, no, no doubt, sure, right? no doubt. But speaking of stories that we've been keeping an eye on for a while, uh, Luck finally officially became available for subscribers to Apple TV Plus uh, to view, and we got that story. Was it the Hollywood Reporter about John Lasseter's yes. second chance, or was it the- okay? So interesting article trying to sort of straddle where he is and but also look back at how he wound up at Skydance Animation. I think on the last show you sort of insinuated that this wasn't necessarily your favorite film on the planet, but it's certainly interesting to see the reviews this thing has gotten. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes right now has luck at 49% freshness, which isn't great. On the other hand, the, the audience rating is 74, which is... Not terrible, but not great. A lot of the reviews pretty much said the same thing that you did. Then, you know, kind of a convoluted story and didn't necessarily deliver the goods, so to speak. Any afterthoughts about this or? (laughs) No, I I just want to hear. I want to hear people with kids tell me if they the kids understood the movie or not, because I Uh think it is very difficult to follow. And uh, I would love to know, you know, what their impressions are, because I had a really tough time following it. If I'm being completely honest, I would just love, love to know people's thoughts. I thought, you know, the, there was some really great anim- character animation. I'm very mm-hmm. happy that so many great employees from Blue Sky had another movie to work on, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. didn't really work for me. So... Okay. Would love to know. I can't wait to hear what you. You know what I'm very excited about watching, Jim, is the Ninja Turtles movie that is out today. I caught the first four or five minutes that they made available online, and it's like, ooh, beautifully staged, some great action there. And it's hard to say, you know, you're looking to get, you know, sort of a Terminator post apocalyptic take of Earth and think, ooh, I really want to watch that. That that looks like fun. But yeah, they, do that's a, they, did, they did. They did. Though, if we could sort of circle back to, to John Lasseter for yeah, of course. A, a moment. I, I had a conversation with a mutual friend of ours uh, earlier this week. and He was talking about how he actually got to see the work-in-progress version of American Dog before Lasseter shut it down and oh, had it retooled God, to be me, bold. And he said, if Disney had been smart, they would have paid, just kept Chris Sanders in the payroll to d- design stories and, or design characters, you know, because the guy was incapable of creating a character that didn't automatically have huge appeal. And American Dog was loaded with charm. It would have been a fun departure for Disney and 
especially at a time when the, the company was sort of easing into CG. And the fact that Lasseter killed it because he, you know, it was like, I don't like movies where animals can talk to people. I told you this story, Jim. You did. I told you, you this story. But I did get it confirmed by our mutual friend about that was the thing that stuck with John, that I cannot understand this. It, this this makes no sense to me. And, and there we are. Yeah. So... I suddenly have a number of films I want to have Popeye. <laughs> I want my Dropbox to fill with with oversized things. And if only I, we could I all imagine- be like like Zack Snyder and hold these things ransom. Speaking of people who actually would get access to these sorts of things, work prints and you know films that that wandered. And have you been listening to downloaded the rise and fall of Harry Knowles? No, uh, it podcast. seems very goofy. I've heard it's kind of a silly podcast, but... The very era that when Ain't It Cool got out of the ground is kind of when I first started working for the web. And I actually had a couple of pieces uh, back in the day that, that Harry ran. But he does talk about that very thing, the, the notion of, you know, whether it was the stuff that he was never supposed to get a hold of. For example, I want to say he got to see Attack of the Clones months ahead when it was actually released to theaters and, and Lucasfilm staged this amazing witch hunt to find out which employee had made it available to him. And for me, it's really a well-done series. In fact, he I think they describe it as an audio documentary series. But again, I enjoyed it. But we were talking about large files showing up in our, our inboxes. I think there's a lot of people in the Middle East right now who dearly love to have a large file show up in their inbox of, of Lightyear. Did, did you see where Disney Plus won't be making this available to subscribers in the Middle East? Well, I mean, they're, they, I'm sure, would love to have it available, Jim. I, I think they're following, like, the local censors or whatever. Yeah, that, that's, it's the LGBTQ content, evidently, yes. is, is, yeah. is enough to trip this up. And it's like, but it, yeah, it just became available on Disney Plus. This week, and and very much looking forward to creating some time this weekend to to finally sit down and watch it. Other news items, we saw Sony set a release date for the Garfield movie, February 16th, 2024. So we have Chris Pratt voicing the title character and Samuel L. Jackson playing Garfield's dad, Vic. I won't lie to you, I'm not terribly enthusiastic about seeing this movie, but the, the reason I will go out of my way to see it is it's going to be directed by Mark Dindell. And not only that, he's evidently his uh, gentleman he worked with on uh, Emperor's New Groove, uh, David Reynolds, who wrote the screenplay for that Disney animated film. Uh, they're back together. So it's like, that's enough. It's like, okay, if this is kind of an Emperor's New Groove reunion, I'll watch it. But... We're also in this this weird moment where Chris Pratt is suddenly doing a lot of animated voices. You know, he he's also got the Mario movie coming out in April of next year, 2023, where he's voicing the title character. And I enjoyed his voice work in the Lego films, but it's like, really? He's Mario and he's also Garfield? Didn't other people audition? He was also in a little movie called Onward. This is true, and he was really good in that. Okay, now you're making me rethink <laughs> I'm being... Now I'm a jerk. Okay, all right. So, speaking of the Mario movie, that's Illuminations. And I don't know if you've been 
Following the box office for Minions Rise of Gru, now the fifth highest grossing film in North America for all of 2022 to date. It's pulled in $327 million, uh, in domestic ticket sales. And that's within inches of what the first Minions movie made back in the summer of 2015. That one pulled in... Th- 336 million. So, but I also want to caution you if you adjust it for inflation, that's 440 million in 2022 dollars. So, not quite the same. But Garfield, as all, you know, remember, started off as a television series and then became a theatrical release. And so, kind of in that same sphere, we have. Uh, did you ever watch Everybody Hates Chris when it ran on the CW back in the the 2000s? I never did, but I, I know that there is a follow-up coming soon. Yes, right? yes. There is an animated series. Everyone still hates Chris. MTV has ordered up a bunch of episodes of this, and Chris Rock will be returning to narrate the series, and it's been kind of interesting watching how what Chris has been up to since the Oscars. In fact, he's just begun to talk about the whole Will Smith thing, right? Yes. Yeah, I think he's started joking about it on stage, and mm-hmm. I mean, did you see Will Smith's little apology video? <laughs> I did. I did. And it just kind of amazes me that this is arguably one of the wealthiest people in Hollywood, and, and you would think he would be able to afford better PR advisors to the effect of somebody with a little experience about how do you handle this? It, it just seems like he keeps making the wrong call. First, people were holding him to task because he didn't apologize, and then it was the wrong sort of apology, and then this most recent thing. I don't know how you turn it around at, the, at this point. Well, he's got a movie coming out that he is campaigning for, so... As do they all, you yes, know? that's uh, true. Normally, this was a guy who people loved to have on the couch. And now it's just like, you got to assume this is a guy who would dread going in to do interviews. In fact, circling back to John Lasseter, I would have bet good money prior to Luck's debut, uh, you know, on Apple TV Plus that they would have started the rehabilitation tour, but nothing. I mean, we have that one article uh, in the trades and, and that's it. Yeah, he was kept out of the press day. I mean... There's a lot of marketing around the the from the genius that brought you cars and Toy Story, but no, that's it exactly. Yeah. But they never tell you who that person is right. in the ad. So very strange, very strange. Back to Will Smith. We're going to be talking about Phil Tippett on the second half of today's show, and I, I was hoping I'd be able to link back to Phil's work on Men in Black, and it turns out that may be. The only effects film that Phil Tippett has not worked on. No, he has not. So if you allow us a moment here, listen to an ad, and then Drew and I will be back to talk about Phil Tippett. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 
I know you have to watch like 1,200 things every week, but Mad God Phil Tippett's 30 Years in the Making movie finally became available on Shudder back on June 16th. Have you managed to watch that yet? I have. I I briefly had a Shudder trial, so I really made the most of my seven days with Shudder. Mm. Um, okay. And I watched this movie, and I thought it was pretty amazing. Do the seams show it all? I mean, again, 30 years. Is it consistent? I mean, as much as it is kind of a... It's kind of a descent into hell slash madness. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't need the smoothest lines. There's not a really a story... It's more kind of a tone poem about the afterlife and uh, retribution and all of these same things. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not quite a you know <laughs> it's not luck. You don't go to the the world of luck, Jim. You are trapped in hell <laughs> for eighty minutes and c- crawling your way out the whole time. But if you're an animation fan, you absolutely have to seek it out. It's uh, it's just wonderful. I really I thought it was great. No, no, no. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I, honestly, I have been a fan of Phil Tippett's work since as far back as 1977 when I first saw Star Wars A New Hope in theaters. And I, I mean, mind you, his contribution to the 3D chessboard sequence uh, aboard the, the Millennium Falcon. But that was the start. And for me, what was especially intriguing about Phil's work at ILM I mean, I don't need to explain to you about go motion, right? The the version of stop motion that Phil worked on at ILM and for a time was trying to make the industry standard. This was used for uh, the Tauntauns in uh, Empire Strikes Back, likewise for the Dragon and Dragon Slayer. But what's different about go motion is as you're hitting the button, rather than uh, the Ray Harryhausen version where you'd move the figure, the dinosaur, the, the, the ape, whatever, and then click, take one frame with the camera. And what was in- interesting about go motion is that you, when you went to click the camera, as you're clicking to move at the one frame, they would deliberately move the figure just slightly. So there would, like in live action, there was just enough of a blur to convince you, okay, this is real. Because again, there's a crispness that comes to traditional stop motion. And Go Motion, it was a thing at ILM for a number of years. I mean, uh, they used it in Howard the Duck. The Siskbert, the, the dragon in Willow, that was done with Go Motion. And they kept it in the works all the way down to Jurassic Park. When Phil was initially hired, all the dinosaurs were going to be done stop motion. And so the and they were prepping to do that, and that was when Spielberg decided, no, we're going to go CG, and then we had the famous quote of, of Phil, you know, to the effect of, well, I just became extinct. Do you have a, a particular favorite film of Phil's, or...? Well, I mean, I think Phil is a, a genius. I think that his stuff with on the RoboCop movies is maybe the most indelible stuff that mm. I remember as, as a kid. Um but, I mean, everything he did was absolutely genius. I mean, even, like, Coneheads, which I believe was the last movie to use Go Motion, it has some really striking stuff in it, you know? It's like that creature on that planet is pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. And Phil was enough of a realist that when CG came over the hill, he did try to use his skill set 
in that sphere. For example, the bug monsters in Starship Trooper. Yep. I tend to group his RoboCop work with the Starship Trooper stuff because, again, it can get really grim. Nobody can quite dismember other characters the way Phil Tippett can, which, again, is kind of fitting, you know, given that, you know, here we are dealing with his film of 30 years now, uh, Mad God. I think on Starship Troopers, he used something similar to the dinosaur input device. Really? Yeah, oh, which was that okay. kind of puppeteered. That's thing right. That that's would, right. That the, he used on Jurassic Park. Yeah, that rig. Yeah, it was sort of an articulated rig that they um, that they used for the bugs. I think particularly the kind of bugs with the big mandibles in uh, Starship mm-hmm. Troopers. Here we are. If you, if we look back at Phil's career, and it kind of ends the way it began. I mean, they brought him back to do Star Wars: The Force Awakens. He did yet another iteration of the chess scene that is the moment when it suddenly lurches to life when ray and finn are aboard the millennium falcon and likewise he was a dinosaur consultant on fallen kingdom but actually i just asked him about that and he said that they basically trotted his name out for that and he ne- he never actually did anything for jurassic world so. okay but, but weren't you saying though that Phil is featured in Light and Magic, the history of... Uh, yeah, how have you not watched this yet, Jim? Good God. I've been spending a lot of time driving people back and forth to the airport. <laughs> that, that's uh, Much of July and August has been the Jim's taxi service. And that's one of the reasons why I, I've been able to listen to all eight episodes of, you know, downloaded The Rise and Fall of Harry Knowles. Stuck in the car, whereas, trust me, you can't drive into Boston and also be watching Light and Magic at the same time. That's very true. So what what was it like to sit down and talk with, with, with Phil? Well, I days? talked to Phil and Dennis Murin together, which oh, was wonderful because... killing me. As you know, Jim, they are lifelong, literally like lifelong best friends. Mm-hmm. They worked on a movie called Equinox together even before Star Wars. And um, they're married to women that are best friends. Oh. So, I mean, they're just like, you know, they're inseparable, basically. And, you know, they have very different dispositions. Murin is sort of up for anything and uh, very upbeat. And Phil is a little bit more withdrawn. He, um, you know, I asked him about his, he, he's sort of very open on, in the, the documentary about his battles with mental health. And he said, you know, I don't see it as mental illness. I see it as a superpower. And, um, yeah, I mean, their friendship is kind of the emotional backbone of the ILM doc. And, um, yeah, I think that he's just, I mean, they're both just absolute giants in the field. So it was Mm. a real thrill to get to talk to them. And they're both working today. Uh So it's like these guys will never stop innovating. They'll never stop creating amazing characters and amazing effects that we're all just like dazzled by, you know? So it was, it was a kind of a, a wonderful moment, you know? So cool. Okay. Well, well, let me close out this feature with my favorite Phil Tippett story, which we went to the visual effects society. And so Phil is there for the Ivan Reitman movie evolution. Yes. And he starts off by saying, you know, it's like, well, look, when you work in visual effects, it's a lot, like working at Los Alamos. You work in total secrecy, you work on very tight deadlines, and every so often you discover that you're working on a bomb. 
he just then proceeded to go on and tell all of the stories about how this effects laden film totally went off the rails. And the last part of the presentation was talking about when they rewrote the ending of the movie, which actually involved the characters climbing into the butthole of a giant monster creature that was striding across Arizona. And it's like, Phil, I have chosen my career path very poorly. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm animating a giant butthole. Still pretty good effects and some pretty good creatures, some pretty good practical free creatures. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come down too hard on it. No, 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 that's no, that it, it, that side of it. And like, there's 18 different creatures that he did for that thing. The effects are wonderful. I mean, he didn't stint. Reitman was trying to make a variation on Ghostbusters that just didn't coalesce. So that was one of those movies where there was a kind of vast marketing apparatus already in place for oh, spin-offs and yes. sequels and there was a yep. animated series that ran for a couple of years i guess because they had already <laughs> committed to it or something i don't know why it was still no absolutely everybody looked at that read the script saw the cast this is a hit this is an absolute hit and it was only when they began testing it and realized something's off we we just for some reason you had eggs you had milk you know it's like why isn't this a cake it, this is not a cake you know this is cat litter you know how did you how did you take this the, all of these ingredients and make cat litter so on that note you've delivered your wonderful significant 200th episode of light the fuse so what's ahead now how do you top that well we've got a couple episodes with maggie q who is wonderful and was in mission impossible 3 and you know we're gonna keep we're gonna keep doing it jim as long as the gods allow us to so yes seriously if you were not listening to light the fuse you are missing out on some of the best behind the scene show business stories the drew and charles get a Amazing folks come through the door every week and they don't just talk about the Mission Impossible or Top Gun films or, or, or John Wick. You, you hear about all sorts of films and you hear all sorts of great stories. So, so be sure and go and check Light the Fuse out. Uh, also here, we got a couple of podcasts that are worth listening to. We got Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. Likewise, we've got Marvelous Disney. And Brian Gaughan uh, and I have uh, brought back Looking at Lucasfilm, and we will be recording a brand new episode of that shortly. Drew, can you tell folks where they can find you on social media? Sure. Uh, at Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt, on Instagram and Twitter. As for us, you can find us on social media. Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And I think that's going to do it for now. Hopefully that'll hold you for a week, folks, but Drew and I will be back soon.